Hello and welcome to the Emerge Leadership Connection, the podcast that gives you the keys to unlock your heroic potential, develop into a legendary leader, and emerge into who you were meant to be. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Alexander Stockwell, a relationship coach and expert, and we discuss the importance of specificity in creating connection, how breathing ties into your emotions, how to take proper responsibility of your relationships in business and at home, and more. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, founder of The Leadership Guide and finalist for the Extraordinary Award for coaches with ideas that can change people, businesses, and the world for the better for my ideas on leadership. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to discover how to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders with the goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofit causes which are currently looking to impact the world and make it better for future generations. Now, on to the show. Hey, Alexander, how are you doing today? I'm so good, Cody. It's really a treat to be here with you. Well, treat's all mine. Thank you for coming in today. So, so how's everything going? Well, um, it's a really full time. I just completed my first online course. I built my business doing really custom coaching. I've been doing it for years and years and years, but it's a real transition to go from interacting with people. And I care so much that I'm understood well and that I serve people deeply. And that invariably involves adjustments. And maybe if someone's an engineer, I make my point one way. And if someone is um, in tech, I make my, well, those aren't so different. You know, an artist, <laughs> and I make my point another way. And I typically ask my clients, you know, what are your what are your careers so that I can use images that really speak with them? And so I found it actually a real internal stretch and I had to have a lot of conversations with myself because when creating online course curriculum, there's no ability to adjust to the human being in front of me because the human being won't really be in front of me. So that, so I completed that and that is a huge victory. That's one thing. That's and awesome. I just, yeah, I have a lot going on, um, you know, projects and things I'm building. And I'm also really excited. I have four children and my oldest is a senior in college and her, uh, she's at Oberlin Conservatory and her senior recital is in a few days. And so the whole family's, con I live in California, but the whole family's converging in Ohio to witness and celebrate her. That's awesome. It, that is a lot of stuff going on. And I definitely <laughs> understand what you mean with creating a course like that. Because it, it's very, very easy to, when, when you're doing that one-on-one -on -one coaching, to really delve into that relationship. And as you get to know them further, you kind of understand what clicks, what doesn't click. And then when you take that completely away, and, and you're a relationship coach. So for you, relationship is just about everything. And so to, to remove a layer of that relationship is very difficult just in general to do whether it's creating a course, writing a book, creating a blog post, whatever that is, it's a completely different animal. Yeah, and you know, it's an interesting question because I definitely want to reach many people, have lots of people benefit from what I'm 
teaching without them needing to be my student specifically. And there's kind of an interesting question. Do I want to kind of teach to the world at large, to, to the universal couple, to the universal human striving for more juiciness and deeper emotional intimacy? Or do I want to picture a particular couple and essentially teach to them? They may never even take the course, but just having those particular specific people in front of me, not literally, but you know, in my mind, mm-hmm. it actually makes dialogue simpler. And um, I found that distinction really, really interesting, the distinction between imagining a specific couple versus talking generally to anyone who may watch the course, because one of the most important things in developing intimacy is specificity. Mm-hmm. So if you said to me at the beginning of this call, how are you? And I said, I'm good. Mm-hmm. That's true, but it doesn't actually build connection between us, a, a conversational intimacy. But as soon as I say something that's very real, like not just I finished my course, which is in a way more specific, but I was specific about the actual emotional experience as well as, you know, something personal that in being specific, we get to see one another and be seen more deeply. Definitely. And, and that's huge right there from, from a leadership perspective right there is just gigantic because being a leader requires you to lead people. And if you just come off the cusp like everyone else does, doing good, thanks. Hope you're doing well, thanks. You know, like you don't create that connection. And legendary leaders create amazing connections with their people. And I and you can you can agree with this, disagree with this, but I think part of creating that connection is really being open yourself first, right? Once you're open, I've given you now permission to become open. I completely agree, mostly because if I'm not open and I want to have a good connection with you, I'm requiring you to do a lot of work or we don't get that connection. And as a leader, it is absolutely your responsibility to do the work to create the culture which allows everyone else to work well. And I think um, sometimes particularly in a leadership position, it can feel essentially inappropriate to share too much about oneself, that it will somehow um, diminish the perception of authority or distract from the topic at hand or whatever. And, you know, there's real validity to those concerns. I'm not in any way advocating that a leader talk to those being guided the way one would talk to a therapist, like it's, I'm not talking about venting, but in fact, being specific is actually super efficient because again, if you say to me, how are you doing? And I say, good, that's actually inefficient because it's as though that conversation didn't happen. We didn't move any bit forward. And even though it was short, it was essentially what I'm in this conversation calling inefficient. But if you say to me, how are you? And I say, I feel so bright. I just woke up in a great mood and I've really been getting my stuff done. Yeah. 
that's not even a vulnerable share, but there's a specificity to my experience. And an, like by specificity, I mean authenticity also mm-hmm. that makes it actually a very efficient exchange. And now as we go forward in our work together for the day, we've already, we're not starting at zero anymore. We're at three or four steps in. Does that make sense the way I'm describing oh, it? Oh yeah, definitely. It makes perfect sense because, because with, with that specificity, you're giving an actual direction of how things are already going that day. And you can either use that information to, to fuel that energy further in the direction that it's already going, if it's a positive energy, or if it's a negative energy, it's like, oh, hey, hold up. Let's try and refigure this out, right? So that we can get you on a better foot so that once you actually get to what it is you're trying to accomplish that day, you actually accomplish something. Because like, no, go ahead. No, I think that is so true. And I think... You know, when you talk about leadership, in my mind, I think responsible leadership. I think of those two um, descriptors as equivalent. And in responsible leadership, you're not really going to be giving a negative answer. You might give information which is negative, but when you do it in a responsible manner, then you're already talking about what the lesson is or how you shifted it or... um, how it can serve. And so, uh, for example, let's go back to our morning greeting. You say, how are you? And I could say, someone rear-ended me. (sighs) That's true. That's specific. I mean, then it might be, oh, is everyone okay? Like, someone rear-ended me, but, you know, no one was hurt. Okay, that's specific. But it's a downer. Yeah. We're not talking about saying someone rear-ended me yay obviously (laughs) just to be super clear hopefully not because there's some other issues going on yes exactly but there is a way to be specific and share something negative and have it function in the in the sharing of it in a way that's positive so for example uh why don't you ask me so how was your day today, Alexandra? Well, I appreciate the question. I got rear-ended on the way to work, and uh, it definitely was not what I was hoping for, but I really, um, I think I was moving too fast, and it really caused me to stop and ground myself and collect and I, I actually feel more prepared to function in the day having had that wake up call. Definitely. And and what's what's awesome about what, what you're delving into right now is this is emotional intelligence from from my understanding of it. And so 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 the great thing with emotional intelligence is that there's no such thing as a bad emotion, right? We're we're in a s I, I think we have a society right now where we try to tell ourselves that there are certain emotions that are bad and you should not try to feel them. And so you have these almost cults of like happiness, like we're trying to be happy all the time. It's like, well, that that doesn't really serve you well when you're obviously not happy, right? Like if if you rear-ended somebody or you got rear-ended, you're probably not happy and that's okay. 
what, what you did in, in that response was awesome because it's recognizing that one, it's, it, it's okay that you're unhappy. Two, you can pull something positive from that experience. And that's something I, I recently had um, an experience with this actually, where I was, I was going through like a breathing um, exercise because I'm, I'm trying to work on my physical health. Mm. So, so I went into this exercise and, and it's basically HRV training where you try, uh, where you're, you're looking at your heart rate variability, which is the beats in between, like the time in between each beat, which will change from beat to beat. And you can measure this and train it to become better. And I went into this session and I was, I was kind of upset and I was just like not doing really well. My scores were really, really bad. And all of a sudden I, I went into what is that emotion of sadness? Okay, awesome. I have that. And it's not a, and I told myself, it's not a bad thing that I'm experiencing this sadness. In fact, it's actually a good thing that I have, that I'm currently experiencing the sadness because that means I'm actually experiencing emotion. I remember there's a point in my life where I felt so drained of emotion in general that I didn't feel anything. It was like the worst feeling ever to not feel and, and to be able to go into that circumstance and say, I'm thankful that I'm actually able to experience this emotion. Um, it completely changed the heart rate variability from really low scores to really high scores. Like the highest I've gotten, it was insane. Um, and, and it's just that, that quick change of how do you perceive that negative emotion that created that change? That is such an amazing thing you've just shared from so many different levels. Um, I am a physician. I was in medicine for 12 years before becoming a relationship and intimacy expert. And so just what you shared brings up all kinds of things. One of them is that in order to breathe really deeply, we need to feel our emotions. And one of the common ways to avoid feeling emotions is to breathe more shallowly. And that's true in acute critical situations, but it's also true just in the everyday stresses of life as well. So I really love, you know, there are, there are um, alternative modalities like something called breath work, which with a very different context and a very different goal than the one you have, tap into that reality that yes, when we breathe deeply, things which we've hidden start to emerge. And the other thing, one of the other things I thought of when you were talking is, uh, it's kind of a pithy phrase in the personal <laughs> growth world, but it's also true. And that is what you feel you can heal. And the thing about emotions that it really is astonishing. This never gets old for me. When I'm coaching a client who feels sad, this is easier to navigate actually in the sad emotions. Sometimes fear, anger can be so fiery that it's hard to slow down and really feel it in the way that I'm describing. Because <laughs> you're just too amped up. You're like, Aah! Right, right, right. It, <laughs> yes, exactly. But it, it isn't challenging to slow down and feel sadness and often it's also true of fear 
And so I'll guide my clients to just find the courage and sit with that feeling because we spend so much of our conscious attention on avoiding what's arising within us. And if someone sits with whatever feeling it is, the thing that they're avoiding, they make a joke, they change the topic, there's so many ways that we deflect it, but if they actually just sit with it, surprisingly quickly, it will start to soften. And if it's something relatively benign, it'll just completely resolve and dissipate. If it's something that's much more intense, just again, it takes courage. It's very easy to talk about it. Doing it is a whole other thing. (laughs) But just sitting with that emotion, at a minimum, it takes the sting out. And uh, I actually sometimes say, once someone trusts me and they've also accessed their courage, you know, can you make friends with how that feels right now? And very often people breathe more deeply. (laughs) So I really enjoy how you brought it up completely different path, starting with the breather, the deeper breathing, but there's a really important truth about how we live that you tap into when you do that definitely and and that that whole thing with emotions whether it's you experiencing it yourself or or the people you're leading in your life whether it's you know your your wife and children whether it's the people at work whether you're trying to do reverse leadership and lead someone who's in a higher position than you there there everyone's always experiencing these emotions and and it's so often that we we tell ourselves not to feel that what I truly believe happens is that when it's in our forefront of our mind, it, it, it is huge in our mind and we're thinking about it. And then when we say like, I'm not supposed to feel that, what happens is you send it to the subconscious because you haven't actually resolved what the feeling is. And then what's crazy about the brain is that the subconscious has a higher processing power than the conscious. And so it's, it's, it's like a thousand times more powerful than the conscious mind. And so in the subconscious, what also happens is that it starts to pull different uh, ideas from all over the place and puts them all into that one thing. So because you, instead of focusing on it now, you put it into the subconscious where it hasn't resolved itself and it pulls all these ideas from everywhere else to make it cement itself deeper which makes it actually a lot worse than if you would have just sat with it at the beginning, which is crazy. Yes, it is. And um, it's very interesting to me how you've described that. Um, The way that I'm familiar with it, which is in complete harmony with what you've said, is that the subconscious or the unconscious doesn't have any sense of time. And so if you feel an emotion as we're speaking, and let's say you feel nervous. I I don't mean to, (laughs) that's awesome. For anyone who can't see your face, you you do nervous really well. That must be why I suggested it. it. (laughs) 
All right, so let's just say you're nervous now. Then your unconscious mind makes no distinction between whatever completely mild nervousness you feel in conversation right now and the nervousness you may have felt before going on your first date and the nervousness you may have felt if you um, were trying to be helpful when you were five years old and you were clearing the table and in the process you dropped your mother's favorite serving platter and she's not home and you're really nervous for a few hours because you don't know how she's going to respond. And there are probably a whole bunch of other times too. And all of that has like a synergistic exponential impact. And so whatever little bit of nervousness you might feel, if you just like push it aside and override it, then this conversation creates a lot more nervousness in your experience than it objectively actually stimulates. Definitely. And, and I'm, I'm working on a certification right now with this guy named Brian Johnson. Awesome guy. His, his whole uh, concept is how do you optimize your life to perform at a higher level than you currently are? That's basically his whole brand. And one of the things he talks about is that our brains can't understand the difference between excitement and nervousness. And so, like, basically the brain registers it the same. And it's our interpretation of that energy that tells us whether it's excitement or if it's, um, or if it's nervousness, right? And so if you go into a situation where you're feeling like that, if you say, I'm excited, you trigger in your brain that that energy is actually a good energy and not a bad energy. And this is stuff that, like, people in the SEALs use and, and all over the place in, in high-performance activities to get over that feeling. Yeah. And it comes up when we're falling in love as well. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the butterflies and uh, feeling so special and so turned on that you're, you know, blushing and uh, your hands are sweaty. That could just, all of those um, physiological parameters could just as well be described as I'm nauseous. I'm like so sweaty. I can't calm down. I, I can't really focus. Like two people could, if we were measuring it physiologically, have the same parameters. And the one is like, I feel so in love. I have such a big crush. <laughs> and the other person is like, I'm so unsettled. I feel nauseous. I can't wait till this is over. <laughs> exactly awesome so, <laughs> and we so, all know that right because you know we're talking about it as though okay so you tell yourself going into a situation i'm excited uh-huh but really we dance between both interpretations and the and the aim really is to amplify one and when the other happens recognize it and pivot, but it will continue to happen. This is not binary. Oh, yeah. Like this is totally a spectrum. And anytime we're outside our comfort zone, those same feelings can arise and we need to remind ourselves how we choose to interpret them. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think 
everything we're talking about, whether it's recognizing these feelings in yourself, recognizing them in other people, these are things you're always working on. You're never perfect at these because we're people and people are just not perfect. As, as interesting as it would be for us to be perfect, it just doesn't happen. And so the, the great thing is the more you work on it, the easier it gets to, to recognize it. And as you recognize it more, you can work on it more and more. You'll never be perfect, but you can continually grow from it. Yes, and I think from a leadership perspective, one of the most amazing, amazing opportunities is um, if when leading, you feel nervous and you stop for a moment and say, I feel nervous. I'm going to translate this into excitement. All right, let's keep going. That that is not a sign of weakness. That is vulnerability that creates power in the sense that Brene Brown, of course, speaks about. Oh, Brene Brown is absolutely wonderful. I've got, I've actually got one of her books right here. Um, It's called Braving the Wilderness. Fantastic book right here. Boom. Braving the Wilderness. Amazing. Yeah, I love all of her books. Um, I saw flipping through my Facebook feed that she's going to be on Netflix starting in April. I didn't click on it to see what, but it says, you know, can you believe it? Brene Brown only on Netflix. So Netflix is leading in its own way with Marie Kondo and, you know, all these different things. So I'm super excited for how she's going to reach so many more people through that platform. Seriously. And, and, and the other thing that, and this is really fascinating is that means Netflix is delving into a whole new territory. Cause as far as I know, there's not really any platforms within the video world that really show people within the personal development world. Um, there are a few out there, but not with the name Netflix has. And right. So that's that's a power move. In a way, um, Oprah. Not only is she the seeming gold standard, you know, I do not have expertise in the realm of pop culture or video. So what I'm saying is based on my limited understanding, and it may not be accurate. I'm very clear when I believe I know. <laughs> I don't know when I don't know. That's okay. But I also know when I really don't know. So this is one of those areas I don't know. But like Oprah really was personal growth without any kind of um, banner to say so. She, you know, her branding was so genius. And so anyway, people have that meme, but I don't think there's really been any, there've been like various little shows, but it, it hasn't had the same kind of impact. And I think Brene Brown could. And I have an assumption, which I hope is true, which is that she would never sell out to, to a media company that she will like, it's essential to her message and her brand that she remains authentic to what she's talking about, which is what makes it incredibly exciting because so many people, when they go into media, it means, yes, they can reach so many people, but they end up making some compromises, which sometimes are significant, sometimes aren't. 
but I count on Brene Brown not to make those compromises. Definitely. Yeah. Because her work is, is completely about authenticity. Like you have to completely be into who you are. And, and that's what her book, Braving the Wilderness is all about is how do you be brave in this wilderness of the world where people are not authentic with themselves? And how do you come up into this world being that brave self? Yeah, and um, I think that this is at the heart of leadership. And it's why someone can have, you know, a lower ranked position in a company. I mean, it, it can be, you know, the janitor or the secretary or, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant to say because I don't want to demean any of those really important positions. But in any case, something which isn't overtly delineated as leadership. Yeah. And when some when such a person has really cultivated their own authenticity and their own self-responsibility, in other words, taking responsibility for their emotions and their impact and what kind of energy they radiate, that kind of person can be someone who in the staff meeting or something they they when they speak up everybody listens. And they Definitely. don't speak up often and they don't say that much, but because of the work that they have done on themselves, whatever they share has a leadership function. Definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge piece of leadership in general is that a position doesn't make you a leader because there are a lot of people who are in positions of leadership who absolutely have no leadership capability in them currently. I think everyone can grow in leadership, but where they sit currently, there's no leadership. And so, and then there's, there's other people who have no ranking, right? They have your, your ground level job, whether it's the janitor, whether it's the, the secretary, whether it's, you know, the, the first time employee who holds a lot of sway for what you would normally consider their position because of who they are as a leader internally. And they express that externally and it gives them more command than someone in that position normally would hold. Yes, I really agree. And among the reasons that I was excited to have this conversation with you mm -hmm. is that I think relationship, marriage or any other committed relationship between two people um, really is a playground for developing that kind of leadership presence. Now, it may not always feel so playful. It can feel <laughs> confronting and um, infuriating, yeah. but there's a way in which in marriage you can't hide. I mean, you can, but it's a way of revealing who you are. In other words, when things are, when you feel confronted or irritated, resentful, you know, there are a lot of different flavors of, to describe this. The most common scenario is either that you become reactive and blame and either very discreetly or overtly attack, or what's actually exceptionally common is instead to retreat, suppress, shove under the rug and um in either case 
is authenticity cultivated. And it is very vulnerable. It takes courage to be true to oneself and genuinely have room for your beloved to be true to themselves, even when there's a difference of opinion. In fact, yeah. especially when there's a difference of opinion. And so I really think that in intimate relationship, there's the possibility as equals to cultivate the self-knowledge, which seamlessly translates as leadership in the professional and community context. Definitely. And, and really, leadership first starts at home. Like, I, I don't care who you are. If you don't have any form of leadership at home, you're going to have a hard time with leadership anywhere else. And, and I think that's actually one of the big problems in corporate America is that there are a lot of people in leadership positions in corporate America who go home by themselves and have nothing for themselves there. And so they go home, they're completely empty as a person. They don't talk to family. They don't have relationships with a significant other. They, they don't have fr a friendship life because they're just so dedicated to work, right? That once they, they get home, it just completely empties them. They get to work and that's the only thing they have. And that's not the, the best place to foster relationships. You definitely need to foster relationships at work because it makes that work enjoyable and makes it worth going to. But if, if you have nothing at the end of the day, you just kind of completely sink as a person. And so you need that leadership at home first. I'm so curious. I don't know if you have any reason to have the statistics on that. I definitely don't because what I think of as concerning is when someone goes home to a marriage but it's conflict-free and passion-free, which happens to be the majority of relationships that it's, you know, there are certainly people who have toxic relationships, volatile relationships, but while super important, it's, it's the minority. The majority have really kind of neutral, flat, conflict-free, and passion-free relationships. And so my attention for years has been on the person who goes home and engages in the kind of marriage that I've just described. And I realize as you're talking that I haven't put so much attention on the person who goes home and is just with themselves and then goes back to work. And Hearing you say that, it's gotten me kind of curious about which is actually the more detrimental situation. Because for the person who goes home and is depleted and alone, there is an honesty there. And there can be, um, there can be some hiding behind appearances when someone goes home and no one is really leading because there isn't really a unifying, vitalizing direction. Yeah. And just, and, and I don't have any statistics on this. I, I know there are problems with both ends of that spectrum. <laughs> Fair but, enough. But I would, I would almost venture to say 
that you probably have the same kind of problems going on in both situations. One is because you just don't have anyone that you can connect with. And so that just leaves you feeling drained. But on the other end, you do have people you can connect with, but you're not, either you're not able to or you're not willing to connect with them. And in both of those situations, it's really bad. I've, I've been in relationships with people, whether it's romantic relationships or friendships, where I, I was with them, but we didn't really connect. And, and what I realized over time, I didn't recognize it right away, but over time, I was really a shell of a person because of that. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't pursuing the things that would make me happy. I would, I would often be dissuaded from pursuing things that I thought would really be enjoying in life. And then I would pursue things that I had no enjoyment in at all because I was pursuing the relationships. And that shallowness and that kind of pain that comes along with that, it, I would say is just as bad maybe even worse than being in the relation with, with no relationships and b- because you're not being authentic because you're not being who you are and you're not rising up to who you can become and go ahead yeah um i think you point to something really important and the thing that i want to respond to most is where you said you know about the person whether they're not willing or they're not able. And so they're in this situation. And what I believe is really at the essence of that very common dilemma is a lack of education. Because where are people going to learn it? And I don't know the intricacies of your biography, but I know that between when you had that and right now, you got yourself a lot of education. And oh, yeah. You know, I just want to say one more thing about that, which is it's not taught in schools how to have emotionally intimate relationships or how to make love, like whether we're, you know, whatever kind of intimacy we're talking about, it's really not taught in schools. And so, you know, maybe there's some education in some churches, but it's pretty formulaic. And um, so people are left with, well, nowadays the internet, you know, it used to be magazines, um, celebrities, literature. And I, I used to ask couples in the first uh, session all the time, I would say, you know, well, is there a couple that you either know personally or in literature, the movies, anywhere that inspires you? And invariably people would look at one another and say, I don't think so. And of course, some people are lucky enough to really admire the love that their parents or grandparents or some community members have. But in that situation, admiring that love doesn't mean that you want that relationship. That's another era. They're two different people. And um, I would say that one of the biggest motivators for me is to bridge the gap in education. Now, there's a lot of different education around, and I'm hoping you're going to share a little bit about the education that took you from the way that you described to the way that you are now. And there's a lot for individuals, but there really is not very much um, 
I'll just say effective education available for couples. And so I really feel passionate. That's why, getting back to the beginning of this conversation, why I made myself create an online course so that I can be one of the contributors to the education gap, which is a very real gap. And how did you close it for yourself? So, so for me, I, I didn't have, I didn't have an understanding of the different types of resources that were out there. This is, you talk about societal gaps, right? One of the biggest gaps I had in my, my growing up was that I had heard about personal development when I was a younger person. And I always thought that was something that if you were depressed or you were having major problems <laughs> in life or like, like you had no hope. Like it was for the broken. Was, yeah, that's what those, those things are for. And that's not me. I'm not that person. Right, which which is like one of the the biggest myths that exist, um, and and honestly, personal development, just the entire scope of it, provides so much information that honestly is not taught at all to people. It's a huge gap. Now, in in the specific relationships that I was talking about, I didn't have that knowledge yet. So if if I had had that knowledge before, it probably would have helped me out tremendously. For me, what it really came down to was that I, the couple relationships just completely fell through. I had people stab me in the back that I did not see coming. And then, and then I had people who disappeared on me because mm-hmm. they were very used to me being this happy-go-lucky, like, yay, life is good. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't that person because I was having real problems and they weren't, and they disappeared on me. And it was kind of like, where'd you guys go? That's not cool. But, but what that forced me to do is it forced me to, one, find the couple people who really were there for me no matter what. And then another thing for me is I really turned to God at that point. It was, it was a huge spiritual development point. And then three, it really forced me to look at myself. And that's not something I had done for quite some time at that point. We're talking maybe three or four years at that point where I hadn't really looked at myself as a person. And so, so by stopping with, with all the nonsense that was happening and just going inside and saying, who, who am I as a person, right? What are the things that I actually want in life? I, I came to realize that a lot of the relationships I had wouldn't have worked out in the long run anyways. It probably would have led to really crappy situations because I wouldn't have been fulfilling myself. I would have undersold myself and what I know my potential to be. And it's one of those things where you, you tell yourself you can, you can make sacrifices for other people. And sure, there are some sacrifices that probably are good to make. Um, like for instance, I used to smoke some, not a lot, but I did used to smoke and I made that sacrifice for the relationship I'm in now. That was a good sacrifice. No question about it. But there, there are other sacrifices that you should not ever make, I feel. And when it's like something core to who you are and it's about where you really see yourself going to sacrifice that is to sacrifice who you are 
And it, it goes back to that authenticity. You can't be authentic then. And so you're living as a shell. And, and you can't have any power if you're living as a shell. You, you, can, you can create new friendships, sure, but you'll never become a leader in any of those friendships because you don't have the ability to be a leader in any of those friendships. It's just not possible because you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have power in yourself, you can't give power to others. That's a part of leadership. You, you have to be able to empower other people, right? You have to raise them up to their potential. But if you're not living up to your heroic potential, you can't give it to other people. So that's where a huge part of that education came in for me was just figuring out who the heck am I, right? What the heck do I want? And that's something that, and you could probably agree with this, is missing in a lot of relationships around the world is that people aren't looking at who they are and what they want. And so they're not pursuing those things and they, they end up in these empty relationships or no relationships. In either case, it's really bad. You know, I enjoy hearing you speak because I have such a different way of expressing the exact same thought. <laughs> and um, one of the things that I talk about is that I think the most common relationship advice that's given is that you need to learn to compromise. And marriage is all about compromise. And in order to be happy, you've got to compromise. And I have exactly the opposite point of view. I think the key to a really juicy, fantastic relationship with real depth and nourishment and collaboration, the key to that is to be uncompromising. And it's what we're talking about, you know, what you just described is what I'm pointing to when I say that. And the other thing is that... Um, similar to compromise, people often have the idea that a relationship is 50-50. And so, you know, if he or she isn't going to meet me halfway, this isn't going to work. Well, it's not going to work if you don't want it to, or if you choose for it not to, I should say. But to have a really thriving relationship, and that's true of a team that you're leading or a couple or really anything that involves adults who are peers essentially is for each person involved to take 100% responsibility. So what I say to couples that I'm coaching is if you want this to be as good as you actually can have it, then you need to take hundred percent responsibility and you need to take hundred percent responsibility. And I want to say that's easy to talk about, but to actually do, oh, I um, it took me years to realize once I understood this and I thought I was taking responsibility that I wasn't because anytime <laughs> I'd, I'd say something to my husband, we've been married for 23 years and I'd say something Which to my awesome, husband. Which is awesome, by the way. Congratulations on that. That is phenomenal in today's world. And I'm so happy that you're having that kind of a relationship. That is needed in the world so badly right now. So thank you for being awesome in that respect. Well, absolutely. It is truly my pleasure. And we didn't have the education and we didn't arrive at the marriage knowing how to do this. This is, this is really 
it's been our journey and one I'm glad to now guide others on. And we each had understood this concept about both taking 100% responsibility. And I thought I was. And I would say something to my husband and he would say to me, are you blaming me? Because to him, it sounded like I was blaming him. Yeah. And there were times, like initially when he would do that, I'd be like, yeah, I am. <laughs> but then there, you know, as we got more refined and implemented our education, partly self-generated and partly learned with coaches and uh, seminars and so forth, um, I would take a moment breathe and feel it like we've discussed and be like, oh, I didn't mean to be blaming you and I didn't know I was, but yeah, actually I was blaming you a little bit. And to be really explicit about this, anytime that I'm blaming him for how I feel, I am not taking 100% responsibility because in because victimhood is the opposite of taking responsibility. And insofar as I'm blaming him for my experience, I am functioning as a victim. And of course, you know, this also is not binary. And so I needed to like root out, it's like I'd done all of the weeding, but there were some not, some like gnarly roots underground that I couldn't see and I couldn't hear and I truly wasn't aware of. But my husband is such an amazing, loving person. And, you know, once he was able to not take it personally and understand that this was essentially compulsive behavior in me, then he could, with love and presence, say, as a true, curious question, are you blaming me? And I then could realize, yes, I guess I am a little bit. Oh my gosh, that is that is awesome right there. It it reminds me a lot of um it, there's this book by Patrick Lencioni. I actually have it here. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Awesome mm. book right here. And so one of the things he talks about in the book is that you have a lot of teams who who come together, right? And then you'll get up to a concept that you're trying to work out. And there'll be basically two ideas that pop up for this concept. And in, in the business world, one has to win and one has to lose, right? Because rarely are you able to really put all the resources into making both happen. And so you, you have to have this debate about which idea are we going to go with, and then you have to make a decision. Whether, like, the CEO has to make a decision. Whoever's leading that team has to say, okay, we've come to the end of the, the, you know, the discussion of which idea should we go with. We're going to go with this one right? Part of what he talks about is that within a really functioning team, what happens is that when one, decide, when one idea is decided upon, whoever the losing side is has to go, okay, I understand. How do we make that work? Right? It's not like, a, oh, okay, we'll see how that goes. And if it doesn't work out, I told you so, Right? It's, it's that 100% responsibility, that, that recognition that, okay, 
this is where the team's going to go and I'm 100% for this team, so we're gonna make it work. It may not have been my idea, but it's what we're going with and we're gonna make it work. And if it doesn't work, we'll figure it out once we get there, right? But my full intention is to make that work even though it wasn't my idea. And that's what you need to have a functioning team. And when you don't have that, you, you have dysfunction, right? You have that, oh, it's your fault. I'm blaming you, right? Oh, I don't agree with this, so we'll see if it works out. And then when you, when you come into that situation with that presence, you aren't putting yourself to the, your highest potential. And so you're automatically decreasing the, the chances of that success. Yeah, and I, again, believe that that kind of growth and um, actualizing of potential in terms of really getting 100% behind the other person's idea is actually cultivated at home or it could it can be let me put it like that because when you're in relationship you're committed to one another and it's not easy to be honest with one's partner but especially with guidance but even certainly without um it can be cultivated and really you can't ever count on someone that you know in a professional context being as honest about your impact, which is, you know, another very uh, a foundational element in emotional intelligence or in developing it is feedback. We need to learn to receive the feedback in order to integrate it because that feedback is not anything that we know about ourselves. And um, it's particularly the feedback, which is, I'm going to say in quotes, negative feedback that is the best teacher for us to learn to take 100% responsibility, for us to create win-win-win situations. And um, with the right intention, we can rely on our spouse to be honest with us or we can create a relationship where that is true. Mm -hmm. And we can't really ever be sure we've gotten that far with a team because people just, you know, they can afford to not say the truth sometimes. Yeah. And, and really at home, you should a hundred and like, like if you have that commitment to another person, you should have that openness between each other to, to one, be able to actually talk to each other about your faults because we should recognize as, as being adults and humans that we're not perfect people. So we should be able to point out that like, hey, in this little area right here, you're not quite so perfect. I understand I'm not perfect too, but hey, maybe we should talk about this, right? We, you should have that openness in what I believe is the most important relationship is whoever you've chosen to be with at home. Um, go ahead. Well, we can say you should, but that doesn't make it happen. <laughs> and it doesn't make it happen. That's true. I actually, um, I, I want to position it slightly differently, not, not to disagree. Like, by all means, 
stick to how you think about it. I just want to reveal how I think about it, not to convince you of anything. Yeah. Because you talked about, you know, being fully committed to the other person. And I think what really nurtures the most authentic and ultimately connected, gratifying relationship is when you're committed to the relationship, when you're committed to the union, I, I believe that um, it's my responsibility to take care of myself and my feelings and my responsibility to add to our union, to nurture our union, to cultivate it and really deeply honor and respect it. It's not actually my responsibility to manage my husband's emotions. And likewise, it's his responsibility to manage his emotions. It's not his responsibility to manage my emotions or my experience or my interpretation of my experience. It's his responsibility to manage his own and to honor, cultivate, and nourish the relationship. And there are times when um, it's just easier not to say something. But if the focus is on nurturing the relationship, then it becomes clear actually that thing does need to be said. Definitely. And you've said that absolutely beautifully. In in any relationship, it's not about changing the other person. It's about honoring what you have with that other person. I love that concept. And I do believe you're actually completely correct on that idea because you can't force another person to do anything right? If you could force other people to do things, a lot of people in positions would have their way a lot more often, which isn't always a good <laughs> thing. And so yeah. like that, that just doesn't happen. But, but you do have to be committed to the relationship with you ha- that you have with that person. And if they're as committed to that relationship too, you can begin to create that harmony that you're looking for. Now, harmony doesn't always look beautiful and rainbows and butterflies, right? Harmony can actually look kind of ugly sometimes, especially when you're working on actually developing each other and becoming better people each individually, right? Um, And there's one thing that, that one word that just pops in my mind around all of this. It's curiosity. There, there's this, I, I think a lot of people lack curiosity about other people and about themselves too. And so an important part of leadership is, is being extremely curious about one, the other person and, and how do they act in the world, but then also being curious about yourself and how does what I do impact the other people that are around me? Because that curiosity leads to innovation. Curiosity leads to innovation, whether it's, it's a physical innovation or an innovation within yourself, a, a, a realization in yourself. You need that curiosity. I think that that's another thing. We, we, we talked about this earlier. That's not taught in our school system right now. Curiosity is not, there's few places where it is and it's becoming more popular, but it's not all around there at all you need that curiosity to really drive development in any aspect of life. And if you don't have that curiosity, it's hard to grow period. And so, so you, I, I would go as far to say you need insatiable curiosity, curiosity about other people, especially, 
especially, especially your significant other, because that's going, as long as you're committed to that relationship with a hundred percent responsibility, as you've put it, and they're committed to that relationship with a hundred percent percent, if only I could speak English, responsibility, right? When you're both committed at that level, that's where you get the most raw information, which creates the greatest area for growth, I feel. I agree. I, I think um, the antidote to dying passion or relationships becoming stale is curiosity, but hearing that and knowing how to implement it is um, the two different things. And so, that's true. Uh, you know, when, when I speak with people, uh, you know, when I'm giving talks, I sometimes say, you know, of course, you know, your partner, you know, your partner really well, but do you know what their most meaningful experience at work was yesterday? Do you know their earliest memory of success? Do you know their all-time favorite birthday celebration? And do you know when your significant other last told a lie or bent the truth a little bit? And um, there's like so much more. It's, there's an infinite wealth of how much we can learn and see about another person. And people are always growing. So you're not going to exhaust it in any one moment, but even if you did, people grow and change. And um, the key thing, though, because this is not a challenging concept to understand, and people can become curious and ask questions, even ask questions they've never asked before. But what's so important after asking a question is to receive the response without judgment. Because if you're going to ask a question that has your partner reveal something they've never revealed before, then you're not going to nourish your union if your response is, oh, but you should have done this. Or uh, even if it's nonverbal, you just kind of are dismissive or you brace or something like it's so, so important to be curious and maintain the curiosity for the entire exchange. And in and one of the complaints that um, I would say it's more often that women have this about men, but there certainly are some men who have it about women as well. But in any case, one of the complaints that women have about men is, you know, he, he doesn't share with me what's really going on. Well, okay. That usually, with love, is meant in a blaming way, like he should share. And so one of the things that I teach both of them is that, okay, then she needs to ask and be a yes to whatever response he gives if she wants him to ever share again. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be positive feedback for the revealing of whatever the answer is to the question. And this can arise with super mundane questions and it can arise with, you know, much more confronting questions like, are you having an affair when someone hasn't dared ask it before? But from my perspective, 
let's get the truth out and go from there. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and that is, oh my gosh, there's so much in that, that you just said one truth. You need truth for a a solid relationship. If, if there's not truth, you'll never have a foundation to build on. Um, it, the, the crazy part of my backstory, uh, I grew up raised by three women because my father was married to another woman when he got married to my mom. Oh, so I, think I knew that. Could, How yes. old were you when you found that out? I was actually 18 when I found that out. Now oh. I knew from my mother that my father was not necessarily the most honest of people. That was the information she disclosed to me. And so I didn't know just how much information <laughs> there was to learn until I, I was actually an adult and she gave me the full details. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a little crazier than I thought it was. But, but I can very easily see why that whole relationship became destroyed because, because it, from the very beginning, it was built on something that wasn't true, right? Mm-hmm. And the relationship going into a marriage is the assumption that this person is not married to someone else, right? That's like a very basic framework part of it. And if, if that's not true, what else isn't true? And now, now there's, there's so many things that can come up that you, you can't answer right then and that you're not sure you can even trust it, period. And so like, any relationship built on lies is not going to last unless you can get rid of the lies and then move forward in only the truth. There's an amazing um, tradition or ritual that's part of the Jewish wedding ceremony. Okay. Where um, just moments before the actual wedding ceremony happens, everything else has occurred and um, where with two chosen witnesses, the bride and groom have a short amount of time together so that if one of them has something to share that they haven't yet, it can be shared so that there are no secrets and no lies going into the wedding. Now, I assume I'm already married or, you know, something really awful. That, like, that's not what that's for, but it, yeah. it's more for like, cleansing just small things that have been held back that would just allow you to walk down the aisle free of any kind of impure communication. Definitely. I think it's such a, it, 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 um, it's such a beautiful ritual that exemplifies the kind of principles we're talking about. Definitely. And, and I would use that same word. It's beautiful beautiful ceremony of laying down the foundation as solid as you are able before going into that commitment, which is huge because, because when you can lay it all out and everything is still okay, you can come out of that situation knowing that you can go through any trial that comes up because you know, you still have that solid foundation and that's important in every relationship, especially at home, but in business too. You need to have that solid relationship. Because when there's truth at the basis of the relationship, that functions and feels like collaboration. Exactly. And, and collaboration is key 
for for any relationship you you need to it's 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 co-creation right you have in in order to move further in a relationship you you have to collaborate you have to one of one of the other things you mentioned in in everything you were saying that that i i really love as a concept is a lot of people popularize popularize this with Stephen Covey and the seven habits of highly effective people, but it didn't originate from him. Actually, it actually originated from a prayer for uh, a prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Mm -hmm. And and it's seek first to understand and then be understood. And that is a huge thing that I think everyone should begin to try and understand because the the depth of that, and it's, it's not easy at all to do it, um, but, but the depth of how you can create relationships on that one principle alone is huge, right? When, when you first seek to understand, you have to look at from their perspective without the judgment, like you said, because that judgment automatically says, I'm not looking to understand. I'm just looking to hear and put my own understanding forward, right? When Yeah. It's amazing, and it it reminds me of that beautiful principle, um, which not so many um, CEOs follow, but that when you go into a meeting as a CEO, you should invite each person on your team to weigh in on the topic at hand before giving your contribution, because once you give your contribution, they're not going to give theirs, so then you're stifling creative possibility it's much better if you have an opportunity to hear all of it and then respond. Um, well, it's not, it's not a precise correlation, but it's very similar because, because that's, oh yes, I know what I was saying. I lost my train of thought for a moment, but that is a perfect example of um, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And, and that is something that can be employed in any business meeting that in any industry and any topic that a leader is going to create an agenda for. Definitely. And and tying that back to earlier in our conversation, when, when you go into that meeting and you're like, I'm laying down the law, this is what we're doing. Let's go. You automatically stifle the the curiosity and the the creation ability of everyone else in that room. Because once you're a hundred percent decided, their whole job is to make that vision come true. Right. But when, when you come in and seek first to understand, one, you're being curious yourself because you recognize that you're not a perfect person, that your ideas may not be perfect, and there might be something that someone says that either is one, better than your idea, which you just never would have thought of, or two, ties in really well to your idea that would dramatically make it better. And so, so when you come in to, to understand first, you're one, igniting your own curiosity, but then you're giving that curiosity to them to come up with those ideas. And that's huge in, in the long-term success of a business because you can never have one person make all the decisions on everything. We're just, as human beings, we're not good enough, skilled enough to be able to come up with all the ideas on everything. We're just not that awesome. Like it would be kind of cool to be that awesome to be like, yeah, I can make all the marketing decisions and I can make all the sales decisions and I can create all the vision and then I can do all the accounting myself. But like 
large <laughs> businesses, you can't do that. It's just too much information and it takes too much time to become skilled in each of those areas to do it effectively. And so by giving these people the floor, you get their perspective and you get their skill set information to add into the curiosity and, and to be able to come up with new solutions that not one person could have come up with on their own. It's, it ties back into a, a Napoleon Hill principle, which is the mastermind principle. Um, and and I, I love this idea. Someone recently told me this idea. Um, it's, it's the, the 30, 30, 30, 10 principle, right? And so, so this principle goes like this. Within any given situation, I only have 30% of the information. The person I'm talking with also only has 30% of the information. Together, we can come up with another 30% of the information, right? Which ties very well in with Napoleon Hill's concept, which makes you think, okay, well, that's 30, 30, that's 90%. Where's the other 10% go, right? And basically, it's divine inspiration, right? Just mm. something that's so far outside of what we currently know that we can't really pinpoint where that, that spark of genius came from, right? Yeah, whatever you want to call it, right? That's where that last 10% goes. And so what's awesome about that is you can go into every situation saying, I probably only know 30% of what's going on. So let's get the other 70% from everyone else in the room and through that, that spark of genius. I really, really enjoy that principle. And um, I really love how you said earlier that curiosity creates innovation and it also creates connection and creativity, which is, you know, the same thing. And likewise, certainty and knowing creates disconnection. It, it creates disconnection or conflict. And so, you know, that, that phrase, you know, I'd rather be right. No. <laughs> would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And I, I love saying, would you rather be right or would you rather be curious? Oh, I no. like that one. Yeah. And um, because curiosity absolutely leads to all the results we always want, even though it's not the thing that comes naturally in the moment when we have conviction or mm, disinterest. Yeah. No, and, and curiosity is, it's such a powerful tool that's just not utilized. And when you, when you work within a, a certain mindset for so long, it's hard to transition out of that mindset. Um, actually, I was thinking about this earlier because you were talking about um, one of you, uh, how society is, is failing in the educational system. Um, that's not exactly how you put it. I put stronger words to it, but that's what I believe anyhow. And um, it's, it's this book by Napoleon Hill, which not a lot of people talk about. It's personally my favorite book by Napoleon Hill called Outwitting the Devil. This whole book is about what he, what he calls cosmic habit force, right? It's this idea that within a society, society rules and ideas and, and mindsets create this kind of whirlpool effect, right? And so the longer that whirlpool stays in action, the more inset it is. And so that's why you get like these concepts like how 
people from one generation to the next generation to the next generation keep getting passed down the same ideas and they can't seem to get out of their circumstances. It's because of this cosmic habit force that's created. And so it gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. And once it's been entrenched so long, it's really hard to pull people out of that mindset. And that's a, I believe that's a huge part of what's wrong in the educational system. I think it's a huge part of what's wrong in society in general is we've created these cosmic habit forces of mindset that doesn't serve us well. And we have to look to break those. And that's not easy because as that whirlpool gets stronger, right, it pulls you down further and it takes that much more effort to get up out of it. But when you take the time to pull out of those, become curious about things outside of that current mindset, to, to learn what else is out there, to learn more about other people, you're able to pull yourself out of that and create a new cosmic habit force. And I think that we're at a time where we need as, as a, as a whole people on the earth, we need to start creating new cosmic habit forces, new idea centers that better serve us. I just, um, I'm smiling because I think it's a very clear description, cosmic habit force, but yeah, like (laughs) it, it, the description gives such a, good sense of kind of the universal inevitable and also personal implications of it definitely oh my goodness yeah and it's uh like so many people don't see that they're within those cosmic habit forces those whirlpools of mindsets and how powerful would it be to just pull so many people out of that. That's what I'm trying to do in leadership. That's what you're trying to do in, le- in relationships. And, and I, I mean, you can attest to this. What is the power of that when you see people pulled out of those old mindsets into new mindsets? You know, one of the most amazing things is when it happens, when people make those changes, in the process, it seems so intense. And so the difference is so dramatic. And then once it's integrated, it just doesn't seem like a big deal because it really does create a new normal. So if, if uh, I'm seeing a couple and they haven't been intimate for six months, two years, whatever, and then through working together, they really are loving one another in all ways and feeling really happy together, like they don't even think about it. It's just the new normal. Yeah. And so your question is so important. But the reality of the experience is just not that big a deal because once people have the tools, then they get to use them for the rest of their life. There's no going back into that particular cosmic habit force. Definitely. And, and, and from, from the outside perspective, so powerful. You're saying when you're in that perspective yourself, it doesn't seem like a big deal because you've, you've already overcome that kind of hurdle. But from the outside perspective, that's huge, right? And huge. It changes everything. It changes generational legacies. You know, one of the main reasons that I do what I do is because I think the very best thing that I can do for children and families is teach the parents how to have a great relationship. And um, in this context, it's like changing, I don't know if it's the cosmic habit force, but let's just say it's changing the familial habit force. Yeah. And then there's a new 
habit force created, which is good to sustain. Definitely. Yeah. And, and that is, that is so needed in the world right now. There, there are so many people who don't understand what a great relationship even looks like. And so, so to bring that into a family to, to parents and then for them to be able to model that for the children is huge. It's needed so badly in the world right now. Just, just oh, so badly. I agree. And actually, it's um, interesting because people who have great relationships definitely do better in the workforce by any parameter you want to measure, satisfaction, fulfillment, financial income, whatever the case may be. Um, it's also good for health. The, the quality of your relationship at 50 is a better predictor of the quality of your health at 80 than any blood test or other indicator. It's really, um, it's good for everything, but it just doesn't matter because what motivates people to work on it when they're motivated is their own experience, like feeling better. And sometimes it really helps to want to create a different legacy for the children. But the fact that they'll be healthier in 30 years or however long it might be, depending on their age, that doesn't end up motivating people. It's interesting. And, and, and I think that that ties into values, right? What is it you value? Because once you know what you yourself value, right, you can figure out how does changing this create value for me? And that's where that, that motivation really comes in, right? Like, like if, if I value the children, right, in a relationship, my desire to want to fix the relationship with someone could be fueled by that motivation to, to be better for the children. Absolutely. And I think um, it drives some people. Not everybody. Not everybody by any yeah. means, but yeah. some people. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. or, or, like, or like, is my motivation to be alive at 100, right? Well, if my motivation is to be alive at 100, and I know that relationships is a huge part of living a long life, which that's scientifically proven. That Absolutely. Who have the longest lifespans have the best relationships with people around them. And so if, if, I, if my goal is to live to 100 plus, which is possible in today's day and age, right? If, if that's my goal, and I know that relationships is a huge part of that, my motivation to fix our, our relationship is so that I'm able to live to be 100. Because if, if I don't fix this relationship, how can I fix other relationships? And let's bring it all the way home. If you want to be a great leader, then that should function as motivation to put your attention into creating the best possible relationship between you and your partner. Even exactly. though in doing so, there's so much benefit if the thing that motivates you is that then you'll be a better leader, I'm good with any motivation to start with. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and th that's, that's a huge thing about having values, right? Is if you don't have the value, you don't have that why behind what it, everything is you do, right? It's hard to figure out the motivation to do things because it just may not correlate with what you're thinking in your mind. Like, why would I care what this, this person on my team thinks, right? 
But if my motivation is to become a legendary leader, right? Well, then my motivation to, to create a better relationship with someone on my team is that I need people to accomplish legendary things because I can't do it on my own. Nothing legendary was ever accomplished by one person. It just mm -hmm. does not happen like that. It takes a group of people to accomplish something amazing. Like, like I, I'm a Christian, so even if you take the crucifixion of Christ, right? You think like, oh, he did that whole process by himself, right? He's the only one who died in that scenario. But like, no, he had 12 apostles. That's a huge thing right there is he needed 12 other people there. He needed a mother. He needed Mary to birth him into the world, right? That's another person he needed. And, and then he, he had other people who would surround him and, and really made him, who brought him up so that he was seen in the world, right? His whole journey was not done by himself. It was done with a group of people and he accomplished something legendary. And no matter what story you look at, right, there is always a group of people behind what it was legendarily accomplished. And so if I want to become a legendary leader, I need to create these relationships with people because we need to do this together. And then if I know that I can't come into the work relationship well without having that relationship at home being strong, well then my motivation to become a legendary leader is I need to fix all my relationships at home so that I can come powerfully into my work so that we can accomplish legendary things. Amen. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I really awesome. Do. All right. So, so Alexandra, I've had an awesome, wonderful conversation with you. Um, just, just to remind people, let people know what, everything it is you do, all the awesome things, and how do they get a hold of you? Okay, great. Well, probably the first place to start is my website, which is alexandrastockwell.com, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A. S-T-O-C-K-W-E-L-L.com. And I, I actually have a page on there called Articles and Interviews, which has a whole bunch of podcasts and some articles I've published. And so if anyone just wants to go further, eventually this conversation will be there. But that's all just free content available for people to get more education. And um, I also have a, a quiz. It's testyourrelationshipiq.com. So www.testyourrelationshipiq.com. And uh, I think anyone who's listened to this conversation might find it super interesting to look, just even just seeing what the questions are on that quiz and then getting the results. I think that would be a really great place to start. And um, there's also a contact form on my website and anyone is welcome to reach out and uh, talk more about conversation, going deeper, working together as the case may be. But I think really taking the test your relationship IQ quiz would be a wonderful next step for anyone who cares about the things we've been talking about. Definitely. I, I would recommend Become curious about what you don't know about your relationship and what you can discover about your relationship through an awesomely made quiz. Alexandra, thank you so, so much. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Cody, thank you. What a pleasure.
Thanks for listening to this episode. Please make sure to go on to your favorite podcast player of choice and there rate the podcast, then subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And then if you truly want to be a leader, share this episode with someone that you know will be impacted because the best leaders feel not only themselves, but others as well to their heroic potential. If you want to unlock your heroic potential faster, then you will want to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders who are dedicated to unlocking their heroic potential, unlocking the heroic potential of others, and where legendary leaders are born. We also have a goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofits that are actively undertaking causes to impact the future in areas including neurodiversity, character strength, positive psychological research, homelessness, and more. Seize the call now. Go to www.theleadership.guide and click Get Free Guidance Now to propel you on your journey to legendary leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, and I'm honored to have spent this time with you today. My final message for you today, and listen closely, it's time. Wake up your heroic potential. Let go of your fears and anxieties, and let's discover what is possible on your journey to become a legendary leader. Emerge and become who you were meant to be.